0: Please turn again to Luke 15, and from verse 11 down to verse 24, the parable of the two sons, looking this morning at the parable of the younger brother. Jean didn't realise it, but she had had a fantastic She came from a stable family, and her mum and dad had always been at pains to communicate to her how much they loved her. Uh, Materially, they were well-off as a family. Their three-story Victorian house in a very wealthy suburb of Glasgow was uh, the most prominent uh, in the neighbourhood. She had no expense spared on her in her growing up. Uh, her education, her sport, her musical interests, they were all catered for. But the very privilege of her situation led to frustrations. Her parents were a little bit old-fashioned in some ways and overreacted to her nose ring, to her music and the length of her skirts. They grounded her a few times and she seethed inside. And then after the latest argument with her father, she shouts, I hate you! when he knocks on the door after an argument. And that night she puts into action the plan that she had rehearsed. She runs away. She stuffs a rucksack with a change of clothes. She heads for the airport. Her bank account is now swollen with funds from the early closure of the savings account that her parents had been building up towards her 21st birthday. Four hours later she is exiting plane in Madrid airport. Goodbye rules and cartoons. Hello sunshine and freedom and fun. On her second day she meets a man who drives a large Porsche. He takes her to his place and he gives her some pills that make her feel better than she'd ever felt before. She thinks to herself, I was right all along. Her parents were keeping her from all of the fun for about three months her, her life is a round of parties of designer drugs of new clothes her new boyfriend is all she could ask for and gives her all that she wants until one day he comes home with a new girl and she is shown the door and her money is gone her new friends have all moved on as well Winter's setting in, and she discovers to her surprise that winters in Madrid are cold. After a few days sleeping under bridges and peeling half-eaten pizza off the cardboard, she realises how stupid her situation is. She thinks to herself, what am I playing at? My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing. And she knows more than anything else that she wants to go home. She finds a payphone, she picks up the phone and she dials home and goes straight through to the answering machine. On the third phone call, she leaves a message. Dad, it's me. I'm wondering about coming home. I'm catching a plane tomorrow from Madrid to Glasgow you're not there I'll understand and I'll just keep on going. When the plane finally arrives the next day she makes her way through the arrivals lounge with her heart in her mouth. There's no one going to be there she thinks. What did I expect? And then she sees them. A group of 20 or more. Cousins, aunts, uncles, school friends. And her mum and dad, all wearing party hats and holding a big banner that says, Welcome home. And then breaking out of the crowd, her dad comes running towards her. She feels his strong arms engulf her in the most wonderful bear hug, and she starts, Dad, I'm so sorry. But his fingers are on her lips. No time for that. We've come to bring you to a welcome home party and we don't want to be late the parable of the wayward sons that Jesus tells you in Luke 15 is I think rightly the favourite of all of Jesus' parables we love it because it not only communicates to us the amazing who would ever have expected the nature of God's grace? The, the welcoming Father that just goes beyond our natural, reasonable expectations. Uh, but it also reveals to us the, the nature of our, our own condition in, a, in such a penetrating way. The sin that will keep us from knowing God as Father. The sin which operates in two different ways. Directions. You see, both of the sons are, are powerful uh, parables of how it is that we can avoid God as our Father and Jesus as our Savior. We either go the way of self fulfillment, of hedonistic pleasure seeking, as the younger brother does. Completely casting aside the authority of God and all respect for His rules, every acknowledgement that He is a right over our lives. Or we can go the other way, and we can go the respectable route, and we can try to bypass Jesus as Savior by seeking to be our own Savior. I'm thinking that we can earn heaven by keeping on the right side of the rules. And these are two routes that people take to avoid the grace of God today. You can reject God openly and live in a religious life. Or you can reject God subtly by refusing his love and trying to earn merit by keeping the rules. And so ultimately, the parable is about a relationship with God. It's about how sin breaks that relationship with God as our Father... And yet how the amazing, expectation-defying love of God restores our position to the family of God. It's a parable about belonging, about sonship, about family. Ever since Adam, son of God, was expelled from the garden, was separated from the father, There is this wistful longing in the heart of sinners that we might find our home. That we might find that that meaningful relationship. And all other relationships that satisfy us to an extent are pale reflections of what we know is out there. The Father's love. And salvation is about coming home. Salvation is about a relationship that was broken and has now been restored salvation is about sonship so we're looking in this part what sonship rejected sonship remembered and sonship restored we're told little told nothing about this younger son's relationship with his father before he left home but we can infer quite a lot from uh, his statement to his father on deciding he wants to leave. Verse 12, the young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. By the standards of that day, and even our own day, it's a shocking request uh, a Jewish person hearing this request made by a son to the father would understand that the son was saying, in effect, I want you dead. <laughs> it's really, what he was saying, this is, it was an enormous slap in the face. He was saying he did not value his father for who his father was. He did not care for a relationship with his father. All he was concerned about was his father's goods, what his father could give to him, provide for him. His father was a means to the end of enjoying life's goodies. And so he asked, give me my share of the estate. Now the cost to the father was painful at different levels. There was clearly the pain of his rejected love, and that would have been the hardest thing for the father to bear. This, his son, was now very powerfully, very... Symbolically Rejecting him And yet He, the father, had brought his son Into this world He had nurtured him He had shaped him He had sought to imbue in him By his teaching are The values of the home Values of honour and respect And of diligence He had prayed for his son He had hoped that his son would follow the Lord and his son is now rejecting overturning all of these things he's thrown back in his face his son wants out there was also considerable financial pain verse 11 says he divided his property between them uh, literally uh, in the Greek it's, he divided uh, his bios his life. Now, this is because what he had to do, as someone who had land, as a farmer, he had, if he was going to give the sons, have to start, he had to sell up the land. And that was something more than just soil or a piece of capital to be realized. His identity, his Standing in the community, his connection with the nation, with the area, was bound up in the land. It it represented deep emotional ties. It represented personal significance. And he was having to give that up. He was having to sell it off. And we're told that the Father does this. And does it? Amazingly, without complaint. And so the young man got together all he had. In other words, he left nothing that would anchor him back home. He took everything, everything that would remind him of, everything that would uh, keep him from uh, being attached to the home, and he upped and he off with all his newfound wealth and he put as many miles as possible between his father and all that he had known and his new future. And there in the far off country, he blows it all. The restraint of home, the restraint of the values of home, its commitments, they're not going to hold him back from enjoying himself. He squandered his wealth in wild living. He squandered his wealth in wild living. The word uh, wild here, uh, it expresses a a sense of exhilaration, freedom, recklessness. For a time, the younger son felt energized by freedom. Uh, while living always has that uh, feeling of being free for a time at least like skydiving feels like ultimate freedom until you get to that point where you realise that you don't have a parachute and then everything is very different for the younger brother he came to that point where he realised that this was not so much fun and for two reasons one his own uh, fault and the other the circumstances that surrounded him. Uh, He used his money, his newfound wealth, recklessly and it ran out. And secondly, he ran into a famine. And so there he was. He was deserted by uh, his friends, his newfound friends, the people who had uh, lined up at his door, waiting for him to see what uh, he fancied doing at the weekend. They had all gone. They were no longer interested in him. Uh, They were now preoccupied with how they were going to cope with austerity, they had their other commitments to look after. And so, we're told, he began to be in need. And he was no longer under any illusion that he was self-sufficient. He realises that he's now dependent, and he hires himself out to a pig farmer. He has come this low. Uh, He's come low in the sense that uh, it's it's a job that not many would want. He's, He's there, he's standing amongst the pigs. He's surrounded by uh, pig manure doing hard, menial, physical work. But worse than that, he's he's feeding pigs. This Jewish boy is feeding pigs. Then it was nothing more uh, horrendous for a, a Jew than to be actually feeding up animals which were regarded as ceremonially unclean. If ever there was a picture of someone who had lost his freedom, this was it. He broke his attachment to his father, but he found that he had eventually to find another attachment. And when we break our attachment to God, we will end up with another attachment, and the attachment will be slavery, not sanction. Maybe all kinds of things that we attach to when we abandon God (coughs) maybe drugs or alcohol or an employer or a spouse or a sport or a hobby or illicit sex or a new look or body shape the attachment can be crude or it can be refined but if we break our attachment to God then we'll attach to someone or something else And the end result of that new attachment, that alternative attachment, will be that we end up in the pigsty, either in this world or the next. We lose the freedom we thought we had gained. But the son remembered what he had left behind. And he remembers when he's hit rock bottom. And often that is the way... Spiritually, we need to hit rock bottom before we, we come to uh, any kind of perspective on life. And there amongst the pigs, he has a time of calm. <clears throat> he's no longer being swept giddily along, so that he has no, no time to reflect or think about life. He's got plenty of time to reflect on life here. And he looks at the pigs They've got more than enough to eat They're being fattened up for any favour And here he is, and he's ravenously hungry Because his wages aren't sufficient To feed him And there's no, there are no crops around To scavenge on There's a famine everywhere And nobody's concerned for him To show him any charity And he realises That actually he is valued Less than farm animals that's what dawns in him. This is how I'm valued. I'm less valued than the pigs. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace and so many other hymns, had the epitaph for his gravestone written long before his death. And part of that epitaph was that he became a servant of slaves in Africa. See, Newton had been a slave trader. He Kicked over the traces, he lived uh, the life of a libertine. But he was put under the care of the African wife of one of the slave ships. And along with the other servants, he was abused. And he hit rock bottom. Mm. And it took a storm off the coast of Donegal, which he nearly drowned, for him to call upon the Lord and be saved but he had to hit rock bottom and the description of what the son does uh, when he hits rock bottom is, is for us a very clear portrayal of what it is to repent first of all he came to see things as they really were the young brother at the very depth of his experience uh, came to himself came to himself That's a telling expression. He came to himself. So in other words, up to now, he had been beside himself. He had been out of himself. He had not been acting as a son. He had been acting very, very differently. And that's always what it is for us when we repent. We have to come to ourselves. Uh, We have to realise what we were intended to be And what we've actually become. You see, we we were made by God to be like God and to be for God. And if we're not living in these ways, then we're not living truly. We're living out of ourselves. And so conversion is a coming to ourselves. You come to yourself as well as come to God, it's discovering where we came from, who we are, why we exist. And running from God is always running from ourselves. It's always to play a part. It's always to become a slave rather than a son. And sometimes God gives us these experiences that trigger a a realisation. What am I playing at? This is not the life for which I was intended. And he's doing that now. He's recalling the authentic life of the son. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am, starving to death. He came to himself. And secondly, he he was truly broken and sorry over his condition. And as he rehearses the speech that he's going to deliver to his father on his return, uh, this is how he puts it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. So, He's truly sorry and he recognises that his sin is in two directions. It's against God as well as his father. Now, outwardly, it would appear that it's just the father that he's offended. But like David in Psalm 51, he understands that God is always the first one that we have offended. Against thee, thee only have I sinned in thy sight done this wrong. He has sinned against heaven. This son is dead right. He has disobeyed the Lord of God over his life. He's rejected God in rejecting his father. And of course his sin has consequences. When we sin and rebel, we hurt people. And he's hurt his father in his rebellion. He sinned against his father also. And he's truly sorry. And he decides thirdly that he's going to cast himself from God's mercy. Now when When the son resolves that he's going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. What we're not to think is that he's decided he's going to go home and he's going to take on paid work on the farm until such point as he's able to earn his father's favour again. Because that would be a a wrong-headed way of looking at it. That is never the way back to the heart of the father we cannot earn our salvation we cannot contribute to our reconciliation what he's doing here is he's simply acknowledging that his father owes him nothing all he can hope for is that his father because he's he's a good man and a merciful man will give him some obscure role on the estate but he owes him nothing He is not in his debt. And that is a spirit with which the sinner comes to the Lord. We cast ourselves on the mercy of God. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We make no claim upon God, but believing in his goodness and confident in his grace, we come and look for his mercy. And so he makes for home once more. I will set out and go back to my father. Repentance always results in that practical about time. Lots of people can become very sentimental about being away from God and make all kinds of resolutions. But we need to begin that journey back to God. We need to take action. We need to respond to the love that is offered. And that sonship is restored. The younger brother can't really lift his his thinking much higher than essentially slavery in the home or an exalted form of slavery back home. But his father has got very different ideas and it seems that his father has been on the lookout from the day the son left home, perhaps from some watchtower on the edge of the farm. And we imagine uh, in our minds the father scanning the horizon day after day, shielding his eyes from the sun as he looks and peers for any sight of his beloved younger son coming back home. And then, one day, he sees something promising. There's a young man in ragged clothes coming up the farm road. Could it be him? He looks so different. His hair's matted. Look, he doesn't even have anything on his feet. He's trudging slowly. His head's down. But it's him. And the father gets down and runs down the road. Comes pelting towards his son. A very, very unusual image. Again, in the culture of the day, if you were a middle-aged father, a Jewish father, you didn't run anywhere. You didn't lose your gravitas by running in this way. This father has got no concern about what anybody thinks. His son is coming. And he goes down that road and he throws his arms around his son. He ignores what would have been a ghastly smell. I can assure you if you work with pigs, there's a a smell of an ammonia that clings to your clothes. He's got no thought for that. No thought for the dirt. The stench. He showers his son with kisses. He repeatedly kisses him, is the, 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 the language here. And his son tries to get out his little speech that he's prepared and he can only get out half the speech. His son comes, his, his father rather uh, has got Better things for him than being a hired hand on the farm. And so there's instructions to the the other staff bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. All these smelly, ragged clothes, they've got to be taken away, they're going to be burned, they're going to be put in the fire. And instead, he has to have the robe (coughs) that's fitting to the sun a ring of authority. And he can't go around as a son barefoot, so get sandals for him. And that calf that that we've been feeding up for uh, a party to celebrate, kill that straight away because we've got a tremendous reason to celebrate. Your son, my son, uh, your brother, your friend, he was was dead. He was as good as dead to me. He has come back from the dead. And so a party is called for. And maybe that you're listening, those of us that are here, those of us perhaps that may uh, listen to this uh, on the website, on the internet. And in your heart you know that you are not in the family of God. You may not have kicked over the traces in the dramatic way that the younger son did in the parable, but you know that you are not at home with God. In fact, you decided at one time that you didn't want to be under the same roof and yet you're at a point where you would love to know God as your father and know that you're loved and accepted. And the question in your heart is, is there hope for somebody like me who has rejected the love of God over such a long time And the wonderful message from this and the other parables is that the invitation comes from one who was despised by the Pharisees for being the friend of sinners. And he speaks here of a welcome from the Father. Indeed, of a Father who takes the initiative, who comes running before we have come home. Who will not stand in ceremony, but will enfold you in his strong, arms this is the gospel if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you repent of your sin if you cast yourself in the mercy of the father he will make you a child of God child of the king will you come home will you receive the father's love Our Heavenly Father, we bless and we praise you for this wonderful, wonderful parable of your love. Uh, We confess, Lord, that we see in our lives the traits, the characteristics of ungrateful sons and daughters who have never loved you truly as we ought. Lord, we thank you for receiving us into your home. And making us your children. And we pray Lord for for those who, who hear you yet again appealing in love. We pray Lord that they too might know that love. Well. And as returning sons and daughters be adopted into your family of grace. And know all the privileges of being children of the living God.